This is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it's all that I need. All right. Luke chapter 5 tonight. I just think that Luke has just so laid the groundwork for this whole gospel. If you can just remember how even in Luke chapter 1, he started by introducing us to John the Baptist and the purpose of John the Baptist. And, and then we see uh, the, the meticulous, detailed birth of Jesus, which then we're reminded of the virgin birth and the heart of Zechariah and Elizabeth, the heart of, uh, of Mary, the heart of Simeon, the heart of Aaron, of Anne, I mean, and the hearts of those shepherds. How God is so looking at hearts. And then we saw how there was some span of time, and then, then when Jesus was 12, he's already starting to realize his mission. And he knows what he's going to have to do, and he, he knows the importance of why he's here. And then there's a span of time until he's 30, and then we saw how he was baptized, and he walked into the waters of baptism, not because he was sinful, but because he wanted to, because he knew he was going to take on all the sins of all of us. And he also wanted to make sure that he understood and walked with us through it all, so he would always be able to understand what we're going through. And then to be able to hear that affirmation from his father, this is my son, I love him, and I'm so pleased with what he is about to do. And then we watched, not coincidentally, how he was full of the Spirit, but led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted. And it was such a good lesson for us to see how temptation is just something that's in our face all the time. We are not exempt. And so we have to really learn of how to handle these temptations because we talked last week how good Satan is at this. He's so good at dangling flesh, our own self, in front of us. And we just love to gravitate to that. It's just natural for us. He just knows where we're weak or what's desirable, and he just loves to just put that in front of us and just create a little doubt and how important it is that we see that the only way that we can combat temptation, the only way, because Satan is more powerful than we are, but he is not more powerful than the power that lays within us. So we have to learn how to activate God's spirit. We've got to learn how to let the Holy Spirit help us recall what we have learned. We have to let the Holy Spirit remind us of that verse in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, where there is no temptation too great. We cannot use that flimsy excuse. We can't help it. Because we have a power, the gift that was given us when we humbly went to the cross for salvation. He gave us the Holy Spirit because he knew we couldn't live without him. We couldn't live this Christian walk without him. We are just too caught up into our human nature and we would get sucked right up into the world's way of thinking. And, and like the Living Bible, the translation that says, do not let the world suck you into its mold. 
That is, I think, such a, an apropos way to say it because it does have a sucking feeling. And then we saw last week how after he left the temptation, after, after, he was, after Satan was done and left him until another opportune time, and, and um, he, he then went to Galilee full of the Spirit's power, full of power. It's like when you do it God's way, when you face temptation and you, and you let the Holy Spirit work through you and you've accomplished it and you have not fallen into Satan's grasp. Because I still, I still think in my mind, if I let Satan win, because of some reason of my own selfishness, uh, and I go his way. I just, I just have to look at him clapping because you know Satan's whole goal is to first of all keep us from the cross. He just will do anything he can so that we do not experience salvation. He loves it when he knows he's got a bunch of lost people. But if he doesn't win that and we do go to the cross and we do accept his salvation, he's still, he's going to work hard in making sure that we live in, in the world with such a devastating, depressed, discouraged, defeated, hopeless, selfish kind of life. Because then there's not one person that will look at us and want, want what we have. So the second thing you'll try to do is keep you and I ineffective so that we don't ever, we never have the opportunity to be able to lead someone else to Christ because who would want to be like us? And there again, Satan claps when we live ineffective or ineffective for Christ, then he wins. And that just sickens me when I think that all what Jesus has done and I can't even make that stand for him and that I let Satan win in my life. But then in the rest of the chapter last week, we, we watched how Luke then, as Jesus is starting his earthly ministry, is starting to see that, oh, are, are human beings ever fickle? How they just love to see Jesus do all the miracles and, and do all the healings and and now even at the end of the chapter, there was the, the town that said, we don't want you to leave. And, you know, that all sounds so good. But basically, it was so selfish. We don't want you to leave because you make everybody better here. And Jesus answered, said, I have to go to other towns. And he didn't say to do miracles. He didn't say, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do all these God sightings. I'm going to do all these. It was a God thing. I'm not, I'm not going there for that. I'm going there to preach the word. Remember how we ended last week? And I said, you know, he's still in the miracle business. He is. He's still, we can still say, oh, that was a God thing because we know that only God could have done it. He's still doing that. But he is not so caught up with those things. He is caught up with that we are changed because of his word. That even though as good as all the miracles and all, all what he does, it reaffirms, but he wants us transformed by his word through the power of his spirit. So anyway, now we venture into this chapter tonight, and it says... 
that he is now. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Whenever you see that, this lake of Gennesaret or Sea of Tiberias, just know that it's the Sea of Galilee. Just so that you kind of know the vicinity that Jesus is in right now. And with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. Now you know that, that not, there's nothing coincidental about Jesus' next move. He knew exactly that he was going to start the ball rolling in getting his chosen 12. Now he's already probably introduced himself to these gentlemen, either in the synagogue or with Peter, probably with his mother-in-law. So Jesus is not a new, a new person to these people. But yet, I mean, look at even at Jesus' death and resurrection, they're still not convinced, those 12 or 11. At the very end of, of Jesus' death and resurrection, there were 11 of them that still weren't convinced. So it took a long time. But you know what? That, that kind of encouraged me because I thought, you know, sometimes we think that we're supposed to be transformed in 20 minutes. But he transforms us. Our new creation, our new life in Christ, we start seeing more and more and more vividly as our relationship with him grows. So it is a process. And he's got to take the first step. We've got to take the first step. It's got to start somewhere. And he's got it all laid out. And so as Jesus is getting into one of two boats here, you know, and it is something, isn't it, that those two boats just happen to be Peter and Andrews and James and John. And how he chose Peter's boat. He knew exactly what he's doing. And he got into one of the boats belonging to Simon, asking him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. So there was that crowd. He's, he's out just a little ways from shore. He's sitting there, very probably casual, and yet talking with such authority. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water. Now put this boat out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Well, obviously, and I'm so glad who was telling Luke this detail, that Simon was honest and said and answered this way, Master, see, that's the start. He knows that Jesus is a master. He knows that he is someone special. To say he's totally convinced that he's God's son, that he's the Messiah, he's the Christ, I don't think so yet, but at least it's a start. And he calls the master. We've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. See, there is the logic. And I started thinking of a couple more, a couple other 
other things that went through my mind that I have to say had to be going through Peter's mind. Although he didn't say it as much, he said the obvious. We've, we've worked all night at this. And we've caught nothing. And I'm tired. He didn't say that, but that's what I'm thinking. And I'm tired. Or I think this was probably, this had to be going through his mind. Why don't you stick to carpentry and we'll stick to fishing? I mean, we, we know what we're doing. We know it's best to fish at night and not in the day. And we also know that when there's a crowd like this and we've, we've moved the boats and uh, there's a lot of noise going on, the fish have probably left. So there's another one. And this one struck me, and I don't know, maybe most of you women can understand. We already washed the nets. And, and, you know, that's not an easy task. So I'm sure that went through his mind. So just kind of thinking logical, common sense things going through your mind. But then look what he said. Look what he was willing to say. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. I hope you underline that. I hope you see that as such a lesson. Because how many times don't we try to debate with God saying, yeah, but that doesn't make any sense. There's really no reason for that. Don't you see? And then you give, give all the ideas that are going through your mind. Next time, let the Holy Spirit remind you of Luke chapter 5, where Peter, even though he did not understand it, he just said, but because you said so. That kind of walk of obedience and when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. Now, the way it's written in plural, so that's why I totally believe that Peter fished with Andrew. That was his companion. But his partner were, as we could we'd see, Zebedee's sons, James and John. But can't you see how beautiful that worked? So they signaled for all of them. They all came and helped. And their boats were so full that they began to sink. Well, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at, his, at Jesus' knees. You know, there's something about when you're confronted with Jesus, when you're really confronted with, with him and you, and you acknowledge his power and his strength. There's something that happens to you. When you acknowledge who Jesus is, something happens to you, and it's called humility. I'll tell you, when you, when you have, are in a right walk with the Lord Jesus, and you are walking humbly with him, humility, you want to know a simple definition? You keep God in his place and you stay in yours. Because you know what that does? Because we're all prideful people. Pride is something that creeps into every one of us every day of our life. Why? Because we love ourselves so much. And so if you want to keep pride at bay, let this lesson be a lesson. Because when you are confronted with Jesus, you can't help but see yourself for what you really are. And look what Peter says. 
He comes right out and says, I don't think he totally, you know, you know, Peter, he always stuck his foot in his mouth. He always spoke before he thought. And so the first thing that he says is, go away from me. Go away from me, Lord. I don't think he really meant for the Lord to go away from him, but I think he saw himself as so unworthy because he says, I am a sinful man. But when you are willing, again, to keep God in his place, then you have to see yourself. And you know what that does? It helps you then to know you've got to cling to him because you need him so badly. That is such a beautiful verse there. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. I mean, it had to have been quite a sight. Then Jesus said these words to Simon. Don't be afraid. Because even in their astonishment, there had to be a look of, of on their face like, you know, just what just happened here? And it could have been a little fear. Like, this is not an everyday occurrence. What is, what is happening? And so Jesus said, don't be afraid. From now on, I think, I think Jesus would have just loved to say, you've seen nothing yet. And not that I'm trying to add to scripture, but I just think, you know, Jesus knows what the next three years in these men's lives are going to be like. And if they think just filling some nets with fish, they've seen nothing yet. But what he says is, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So instead of catching dead fish, you're going to give life to people. You're, instead of catching dead fish, you're going to be throwing out the gospel message, which is going to give people life. You're going to be fishes of men. You're going to be catching men with the gospel. So look at verse 11. And the reason why I said that I believe that Jesus wasn't someone new to them. They had been introduced to him before. But with all that was transpiring, this was something. They pulled up their boats. They pulled them up on shore. They left everything. And they followed. I know we read the story. We read those words. Yeah, yeah, we know that. Because now they're going to be the first four disciples or whatever. But did you ever put yourself thinking that they left everything. Those boats couldn't have been cheap. They were, le- they were leaving a lucrative business. And even I couldn't help but think, what did, what did they do with fish? They left it all. I mean, what you thought they would have said, um, we'll meet you back here tomorrow. Cha-ching, cha-ching, we got to get rid of these fish. I mean, you know, that's just human thinking. But I'm telling you, when you see the face of Jesus calling you, hear Christ calling, come on to me. Hear Christ calling. And like I said, when we prayed, I said, gosh, when we were little kids, we sang those two verses. 
did we really? No, didn't really understand what a powerful verse that second verse was. Am I really wanting to hear him call? Am I willing to leave everything and follow him? That was something. While Jesus was in one of those towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. He was covered. One version calls it full of leprosy. So I'm going to describe that. I'm sure you've heard someone describe leprosy before. But there were two different kinds of leprosy. One that wasn't so serious. But then there was this kind. And this kind, and that's why I chose this Just As I Am song tonight. Well, for many reasons. But one, that one verse that said, Just as I am and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blot, to thee whose blood can cleanse each spot. Because even the severity of this kind of leprosy started with just one tiny little spot. And the horror, and it comes out of nowhere. So the horror of all of a sudden getting ready one morning, and you look and you see that dreaded spot. And then, and then, this is what leprosy is, because then it starts eating the flesh. And it goes after first the extensions. So hands and feet, arms and legs, and it eats it. And I don't mean to sound gross, but I want you to see just how sad this story is. And it eats away until you have stubs. You literally just have stubs. And then it goes after ears. It eats your ears off. And it eats your nose off. There was nothing more dreaded other than a dead body than this leprosy. They, were, they could not touch a dead body. But this was almost as bad. In fact, Jewish law... Jewish law would not allow anyone to get within six feet of a leper. Now, at first I thought, well, that, that isn't so bad. Six feet is not that bad for me to pearl. That's not that bad. But oh, come on. When you want to hug your spouse or when you want to hug your kids or you want to get close to somebody and you can't, you've got to be set apart from the people that you love. And then, get this, and then if the wind is blowing, then you've got to stay 150 feet away. I mean, this is just a living death. I don't know how else to say it. And not only was it so physically horrible, it had the same kind of stigma Similar to what Elizabeth went through. The judgment of people. Remember when we talked about Elizabeth and for her whole life until she became pregnant with John the Baptist. There were people always looking at Elizabeth saying, there's a hidden sin here somewhere. She's under the judgment of God for something. And she had to live with that. 
And the same thing with a leper. It was bad enough to endure this disease, but then to know what people were thinking. And because they believed so fully that it was a judgment of God of some type, they purposely then did not want to get near them. There was no compassion. There was no mercy. What a terrible way to live. They were scorned. They were despised. And this man had nowhere else to go. Except, you know what I think? Because he, he knew. He knew. He called him Lord. He, he had to be he had to be experiencing God's spirit because there isn't anyone in their own power that relinquishes their own self. I mean, look at this leper. He comes to Jesus with his face to the ground. Didn't you, didn't you think, hey, I just read that. I just read that a few, a few verses before. See, when you're confronted with Jesus, look at the humility, whether it was Peter or whether it was this leper. He, his face is to the ground. Lord, if you are willing. I know you can. I know you can make me clean. But no one prefaces, you can make me clean, so this is what I want. That's what's normal. But it's somebody who knows who the Lord is that is willing to surrender. Willing to surrender and say, I want your will, not mine. I want your will, not mine. That's not normal for a human being. We want our way. So I think instead of the time that he has spent, because this has probably been quite a while that he's had this leprosy, instead of feeling sorry for himself, he is learning. He is willing to hear what Jesus is teaching. He's heard about the miracles. He knows what Jesus can do, but he is more concerned about being in the center of God's will. Put a star by that. That's another big lesson for you and I. Are we willing to put ourselves aside and want God's will in our life? But, oh, Jesus saw his heart. See, this is the whole thing about, I think, what Luke is trying to t teach us from the beginning. Jesus can see people's hearts, and that's who he chooses to use. I mean, remember last week when, when he's talking to his hometown and said, you know, there, there are so many widows in Israel, but God sent Elijah to Sidon, a pagan, terrible, Gentile place, and says to the widow, take your last little bit and give it to me. Oh, your oil and your flour will never run out. Well, that is not realistic, but look what she did. She did it. Or look what Elisha, he used this example. There were many lepers in Israel, but no, God called Elisha to go to Syria, another pagan place. Why would he go there to that Gentile and tell Nahum to go dip yourself seven times in that dirty water 
And Naaman, being quite a prestigious man, could have said, I don't think so. But he did it. See, God can see hearts. He's not impressed with prestige and yeah, that exterior and what you made of yourself. He sees your heart condition. This is what Luke is trying to say. This man's heart, oh, he couldn't have looked worse. I bet he just looked down right. I bet you could hardly stand to look at him. But Jesus could look beyond that because he saw this man's heart. And so he said, I am willing. Be clean. And immediately, the leprosy left him. And then Jesus ordered him. This wasn't a suggestion. He ordered him, do not tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing. So Jesus was very concerned that he is, he is working at this whole new way. But he said, no, don't go, don't, because where, where would this leper go? If Jesus hadn't ordered him, where would he go first? Home. Of course he'd go. And he'd probably shout to everybody on the way. But Jesus ordered him to follow protocol, follow, this is what the rules are. Go to the temple. Go to the priest because they're the ones that are in charge of, of making sure that you are cleansed and then we'll issue you back into society. Follow the rules. But I didn't realize until I looked at that word and he said, sacrifices. Go and follow the sacrifices. And then as I studied it, there were two things, there were two sacrifices that a leper had to do. The first one was he had to sacrifice two living, clean birds. But he couldn't just use any kind of wood. It had to be cedar wood along with hyssop and with, let's see, with hyssop and with scarlet. That was it. Forgot that word. And the reason I probably forgot is because, I mean, this wasn't easy. I mean, I don't know if at the temple they got a little grocery store or what. I don't think so. So this leper has got to find, because it's, it's very precise in Leviticus, Leviticus 14. It's very precise. Two clean birds, cedar wood with scarlet and hyssop. Okay, then the second sacrifice, you have to sacrifice two male lambs, one female lamb, and three-tenth deals of flour and one log of oil. Now, where are you going to get all that? That's going to take some time. So those two sacrifices... Jesus said, this is what I want you to do. Follow the protocol. Follow the rules. 
And then the, per- the reason I didn't say the finish of that verse is because I think, because God knows this is going to be so used. This story is going to be so used. And look what, look, look what Jesus says to him. He says, follow the rules, follow the protocol as a testimony to them. To who? The priests. Can you imagine, you know, testimonies are so powerful because they're your story, they're my story, and you can tell it because you experienced it. It's your story. Can you imagine the questions that those priests had? How did this happen? And what an opportunity for this man to be able to say, he's my Lord. And I was willing to submit to his will. But I knew that he could because I know who he is. What a testimony. See, God, God is using this. Yet, verse 15, the news about him spread all the more. So the crowds of people come to hear him to be healed of their sicknesses. Before we read verse 16, I looked at that verse 15 after doing last week's lesson and knowing that the people are just so caught up with Jesus because he's making them happy and comfortable. He's making everything better. And Jesus can see their hearts, and it must break his heart. In fact, I know Jesus never sinned, but it had to frustrate him sometime. Like, how come they're not seeing me? How come they can't see through these miracles? Why can't they remember the scriptures that they claim to know so well and see that it's me? I'm sure that it was very difficult for him. And then we read verse 16. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Again, another lesson, another star. When, when life starts to overpower you, when someone starts to exasperate you, when you're to the pulling out your hair stage, when you just can't get them to understand you, when you're to that point, Jesus shows us exactly what to do. And he says, withdraw to a lonely, secluded place and pray. I think that's why we're taught to go into our prayer closet. And that's just very simple. It's go to a place where there's no distractions. Go to a place where that you, you can't, in fact, I was, I was talking this morning to somebody about that. I said, you know, we are so pitiful because, you know, we, we go to a place that's secluded and that's quiet. We turn the TV off or the radio off, but we keep our phone just in arm's reach right there because in case someone needs us. No, he is saying, Here, you go to where there is absolutely no distractions for a little while because you're in such a state right now that you need to get alone with him and let the Holy Spirit remind you of verses that you know. Verses like, peace I leave with you. 
peace I give you, not the kind of peace that this world gives. Don't let your heart be so troubled. Don't let it get afraid. Don't let it be fearful. Don't let it get out of sorts. Don't, don't get obsessed with life. Don't let your heart get so troubled. Believe in God. Believe in me. I've got it all under control. Watch yourself. If you do this enough times, you will be convinced that that's the only way to handle life. Because you will sense his empowerment. You, you will hear him say things like, I told you I'm your refuge. I told you that I'm your strength. I told you I'm your power and I'm your hope. Just come to me. I told you that under my wings you can take refuge. I told you that I will never leave. You can go through this with knowing that I'm right there. He feeds you with this truth. You'll walk out of your closet, I guarantee you, empowered and strengthened and ready to face what you've got to face. And your circumstances might not change. But he just changed you. And I think Jesus, even though he was sinless, he was 100% man. And I think that's why Luke puts this detail in there for our benefit, but also to remind us that Jesus knew what he needed. He needed to stay clinging to his father. One day as he was teaching Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea, and Jerusalem, they were all sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. I have known this story like you for years and years and years. I never saw it till this week. I never realized, I just thought it was a crowd of people that this paralytic, they couldn't get him through because the crowd was so great. Now, yes, the crowd was great, but look who the crowd is made up with. Not your everyday people. With the religious rulers, the rabbis from all over Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. So, yes, there was a crowd, but can you imagine looking at that crowd of crabby men, legalistic, self-righteous who were trying and we know that the majority of these men took Jesus all the way to the cross they could not they would not they would not accept him for what he was so they were problems from him to him from the start and he has got a crowd of them and yet does he back away is he intimidated by him? I mean, it's really hard. I mean, even as a performer, it was so hard when I would look at different audiences. And it, it, was, it was so hard when you could tell that the majority of them were just such spoiled church people. Because it's just like they crossed their arms and said, now try to bless me. I mean, it just was written on their face. 
And in this kind of audience is not an easy audience. And yet Jesus is so ready because he's under the power of God and he's been given the power not only to preach with authority and confidence, but he knows what's going to happen. And he's got the power to be able to heal this man, forgive his sins. So some men came carrying this paralytic and, yeah, we've heard sermons on this. And, yeah, those men, and we see Jesus even say because of their faith. I mean, these men took off a day of work. They carried this dead weight from who knows where. They get to this house. Now, wouldn't you think that you would get to a crowd like this and they would see... This is why you can't help but see the hearts of this crowd. Because once you think that when they saw this special needs man and these other men trying to carry him, when you see somebody with special needs, don't you back away? You see a wheelchair? Don't you open a door? I mean, that's just compassion. You just do it. See? Look at these guys. I don't, I don't care if those guys would have said, excuse me, a thousand times if one of them would have moved. I think they took one look at that crowd and said, you know what? We better go around the house. And the way houses were built in Israel is that they used the roof a lot. So they always built a stairway on the outside of the house. So these guys are no dummies either. They get, they get this paralytic up on the roof. They know how roofs are, roofs are made. They know that, that they're made out of thatch and dirt and tiles, and it's done precisely over beams, so they know just how to cut. Now, even though they know just how to cut, I'm sure there was thatch and dirt coming down. And I, I couldn't help but think about the looks on different faces. First of all, the looks uh, of the crowd when they saw what was happening. They looked up and they see the dirt and then all of a sudden they see this paralytic come right in front of Jesus. I bet there wasn't a sign of victory or hope or I'm sure it was just, what in the world are they doing? There was no compassion. But as sure as I'm standing here, I know exactly the face Jesus had. Because he already knows he's been given the power to heal this man inside and out. I think he's got this smile that only he could have of unconditional love and excited because these men had the faith of action to do this work. I think Jesus just loves this. And so when Jesus saw their faith, verse 20, he said, friend, 
So he saw the hearts of these men, but then he looked at the paralytic and called him friend. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. And of course, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Again, a face gesture of disgust. Blasphemy. We knew that's why we came from all over, because we just wanted to see him. Who does he think he is? Jesus knew what they were thinking. And when he addressed him and said, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Wouldn't you think those men would have thought, how do you know that? How did he know that that's exactly what I was thinking? This would have been such an opportune time for those men to say, you know what, we better give this guy a second thought. We better check him out. Could this be? Because who knows our thoughts and can read our mind? But no, see their choice? See, God gives us so many opportunities to have our spiritual eyes opened. But so often, because we're so caught up with what we want and our own self, that it's just like blinders over our eyes. We choose to plug our ears. We choose to refuse what he's got for us. So Jesus answers them, or he asks them this question, such a good question. Okay, which is easier? I know what you're thinking. Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? I mean, I know that's what you were expecting me to say. But I, I said first, your sins are forgiven. Because he's, he's trying to teach them. He's trying to teach you and I. Because we too are so caught up in our physical. We, we want everything about our physical to be healthy and no suffering and fit. We just, we just want that. We don't want pain. We don't want to hurt. I think for some of us, we don't even want to grow old. We don't want those aches and pains. We don't want to hear those disease names. And as much as we know that Jesus can, are we going to be like that leper who said, but are you willing? Because I want your will. I want your will in my life. Because see, Jesus knows that he can, he can heal our bodies. He could, he could have first given the, this man two healthy legs. But I think it's so far beyond. He wants us to see. He cares more about the part of us that's going to live forever. He's the doctor of our soul. He, he wants to be the doctor of our soul far more than the doctor of our body because he knows he can, he can make a healthy body. But if our, hearts, if our hearts are still sinful, this healthy body will walk itself right into hell. I mean, these are the conditions. So he says to this man, your sins are forgiven. And I can't, I can't help but go back to 
James chapter 5, this chapter that we read, that remember, this is Jesus' half-brother. This is Jesus. This is Jesus' brother who used to think Jesus was a joke and now believes wholeheartedly, who's the head of the Jerusalem church, who writes these five no-nonsense chapters, and who says this. If any of you are sick, all you have to do, call two elders, anoint them with oil, do a little prayer. He's going to get right up out of bed. James doesn't put it that way. He says, he says, call two elders, anoint with oil. Pray over them. He doesn't say that they're necessarily going to get out of bed. Because see, James, he, he's so convinced now that we are supposed to be reading God's word under the power of God's spirit instead of just reading it with our physical eyes that we go beyond because our natural human desire is to just, oh, that verse means if I just follow the instructions, then I will be healed. Well, that's why people are so deluded nowadays. So many Christians who are biblically illiterate, who do not understand the power of God's spirit in God's word. Even Christians are thinking, hey, how come, how come you did it for so-and-so and you didn't do it for me? How come sometimes God's answer is no? How come sometimes his answer is wait? And sometimes we've got to see the whole passage through different eyes because we've talked about this. What is our greatest sickness? What's even greater than, than cancer? What's even greater than mental illness? What's even greater than Alzheimer's? What's greater? And that's our sin. And that's what Jesus is concerned about healing us so that he can heal our soul so then we can live with him forevermore. He's the doctor of our soul. That's what he cares about. I wrote down a couple things about him being the doctor of our soul. I want a whole change of mind on this whole subject. Because you know what I believe real healing is? Is when two spiritual people Two elders, that means somebody who's maybe more spiritually mature than you are, who is going to dare come to you and tell you what you need to hear more than what you want to hear. This person is going to put their arm around you and say to you, let's hear what God has to say. Let's hear about his will and his plan and his purpose and that his will is good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect, that his timing is perfect and that he's got our days numbered and he knows every hair on our head so he knows exactly what's going on here and he knows exactly perfectly how to answer this. He knows that you might not like a no answer but he knows that this no answer is a part of his plan for unbeknownst to us sometime. Do we love him enough to trust him? And if that, if those two elders and anoint, which is a symbol of God's spirit, and that sick person is willing to say, your will be done. Remember, we've talked about this. What should we 
What should we preface our requests with? Either with what the leper said, if you are willing, this is what I'd like, because I know you can. Or end your prayer by saying, this is my request, but not, not my will, but yours be done. That's what we're taught to pray. And sometimes we need two spiritually mature people to come alongside of us with their arm around us, loving us, but saying what we need to hear. Trust him. Trust everything about him. And when that sick person, when that sick person accepts, accepts God's will, I think this is what James means, and you will be healed. That's the ultimate healing, when you give God free will in your life. And you allow him to use you in life or in death. That is complete healing. And he does that. And that's what the doctor of our soul, so these little simple things that I said about what does the doctor of our soul do? Well, he says, you don't even need an appointment. You can come to me anytime. You can come to me about anything. Another thing the doctor of our soul says, I know how to make the right diagnosis every time. The doctor of our soul knows when we've gone off track and not only for our salvation, does he love to be the doctor of our soul? But when we veered off course, when there gets to be a crack in our armor and self has gotten in, and all of a sudden worry and panic and hopelessness and defeat start sneaking in, the doctor of our soul says, I know the diagnosis here, and it's called self, and we've got to get rid of it. And then the doctor of our soul he knows the complete, he knows the complete cure for it. And I'm telling you, if you think you have to go to the cross just once, if you just go to the cross for your salvation, great. But let me tell you, that cross is there for you to go to anytime you want because the doctor of your soul is always there waiting for you. And he is ready to cure you every time to get self out of there so that you could back, get back on track with him. And then I couldn't help but put this down. And he pays for the whole thing himself. Yeah, doesn't even charge you. Doesn't even send you a bill, an itemized bill. Can you imagine that itemized bill? No, he paid it all. Paid it all himself. So he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take up your man, go home. And immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. And everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. How easy is it to praise God when, when you're amazed at what he did, when he, he, he answered your prayer just the way you wanted it? Let me tell you, don't look at that verse and say, oh, isn't that wonderful? No, it's not so wonderful. 
Because it is way too easy to praise the Lord when everything is going our way, when he answers our prayer exactly the way we want. But let's see if you're in awe and if your praise is just as real and fervent as when you have a no answer. Look, it's so easy to praise him when you're filled with awe and you've seen remarkable things. He's remarkable. He's a remarkable God. But sometimes, sometimes he disappoints. Sometimes it's not what you wanted. I think Luke wrote that in there. Because human nature is fickle, and even Christians can be fickle. Are we willing to look at his remarkable things his remarkable answer, and it was no. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi, or Matthew. He's sitting at his tax booth. Now picture this. Tax collectors, we've already talked about, that they're hated, they're rejected, because they jump ship. Money was more important to them. So these Jewish men jumped ship and started working for Rome. Disgusting. So the Jews hated him. So picture this. Jesus walks right up to the tax booth. And I believe he looked at Matthew straight in the face because he knows his heart. And you know what I think? I think some of these cocky tax collectors, I think inside they were hurting more than they let on. Maybe, maybe Matthew, inside he was thinking, even my parents don't want me to come home. My friends have disowned me. This hurts. Oh, I know I got this pile of money. But where has it gotten me? Maybe a start has already begun in his heart. Maybe his mind has started to think those on those lines. And he, and he looks into the face of Jesus. And what kind of face does Jesus have? Now remember, Levi, Matthew, he's been hated. He's been rejected and pushed away. Jesus is just the opposite. Jesus says, I take you just as you are. That unconditional love, that look of compassion and acceptance, because all Jesus said was, follow me. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Left his pile of money. Because I think that look that Jesus gave him, that look of unconditional love, and then saying those words, follow me. I think he, he had just come to that place in his life and he left it all. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a great crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him. I mean, I think Jesus loved a party. 
And I don't think it was a silly kind of party. I think Jesus loved happy times, celebrating times. As we know that when a sinner repents, the angels in heaven have a party. And so Jesus, when, when Levi wants to have this party for all of his friends, Jesus says, oh yeah, I want to come because this is going to be such an opportunity for Matthew to be able to share with them what happened. It's going to be such an opportunity for Matthew to say, and let me introduce you to. And because he's standing right there in front of them, they, they see what's happened to Matthew. They're going to lend an ear. Jesus knows this is party time. This is great. Look at verse 30, though. What's the first word? But. There's those crabby pants. This is, this is why I'm so convinced that legalistic, religious people who can quote scripture but do not have Jesus in their heart, they don't know what it's like to humble themselves and walk to the cross. They are so lost, and they don't even know it. There's one speck of joy on their face. There isn't anybody that would look at them and say, oh, I want to be just like you. No. Oh, people were awed by them because of how smart and intelligent and their position and all that. But to look at them and say, oh, I just love your attitude. I just love the way your smile just radiates. I love the light that comes out of your eyes. I love how you have peace in the middle of a storm. They see none of that. Because Jesus is the only one that can do that in us. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belong to their sect complain to the disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? I mean, these guys don't even believe that they're sinners. They don't even think that a Savior is really even necessary for them. Oh, probably for those bad people, for those sinners. But they don't see that in themselves. Again, again, Jesus knows just how to answer. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I know that every person on this earth, there isn't a human being on this earth that doesn't need salvation. And I came to give them that opportunity. I have not come to call the righteous. And the, the thing is, they, they thought he was talking right to them because they thought they were righteous. They were self-righteous, okay? But righteous, how do you and I become righteous? How do we become right? And that, again, is only through the blood of Christ can we be made right. But, oh, they think they're right. But Jesus said, I come for sinners who are willing to repent and humble themselves and see themselves for what they are. They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. 
but yours go on eating and drinking. I think these Pharisees thought, you know, your disciples, they just are way too happy. They, they, just, they, they just have way too much joy on their face. They just smile way too much. We have a problem with that. Because this is serious. Well, I take Jesus, I take Jesus serious, very seriously. But he's the one that makes me smile. He's the one that gives me strength, power, and hope that makes me smile. See, they don't understand. Yeah, what about it? They don't fast and pray. They don't take this serious enough. Jesus knows that praying and fasting is very important. And he tries to give them the example. Hey, when you're at a wedding, and everybody's joyful and celebrating and happy for the couple, and it's a time for that. And then there's a time when life is heavy and you have to fast and pray. And I have to say, did you notice fast and pray? We've been through Esther. We didn't see the word prayer, did we? Any, any Joe below can fast. But when you fast and pray, that means you're inviting God into this. And you're willing to accept his will and his answer in this. It makes all the difference in the world. Fast and pray is serious, and we do it when we're at that point, when we need a, a decision made, when we need a direction. We need, we need something, and we fast and pray for an answer. Jesus said, there's time for both. You are such killjoys. You, you wouldn't even know joy if it smacked you, because I've tried And then he told this parable, no one tears a patch from a new garment and sews it on an old one. What Jesus is trying to do is introduce what Paul has tried to explain to us later in his letters. You're a new creation. Old is gone. Behold, new has come. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that lives. It's Christ that's changing everything and lives in me. Those are the words that make perfect sense to what Jesus is trying to say. You can't you can still follow the old ways of doing it because... I fulfilled it all. The whole Old Testament, the whole Leviticus and Mosaic law was all, all for you to hold on to until Jesus came. So now that he's here, and he's, he's pretty much going to say, it's okay, I did, I'm not destroying the old way. I'm just fulfilling the old way and making it all new. See, it sounds so much better, doesn't it? Because when you think of, oh, he's destroying, I think that's why people say, I don't like to study the Old Testament because that's all gone. No, it's not. But 
we know that the New Testament is Jesus proving he fulfilled the old. But don't you just love to go back in the old and just see how all the prophecies and all the promises of God just happened exactly the way he said. So he didn't destroy that. He just fulfilled it. And that's why he says that that no one tears a patch for a new garment so is it on the old one. If he does, he will have he will have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. And, the, and no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. When you're a new creature in Christ, when you've walked away from the cross, and you start opening your Bible, I guarantee you, this is going to be all new to you. Words, because now you've been given his spirit that will take these same words that you've probably read for years. And now the Holy Spirit is going to give you spiritual eyes, spiritual ears, and you're going to hear your Savior continuously talking to you and teaching you. See, you, you can't do that with the old you. It's the new you. But then he adds this as he closes this chapter. And no one, after drinking old wine, wants the new. For he says, the old is better. I had to really think about that because I thought, now, did you just cancel out what you just said? That the old really is better. And then I thought, oh, that is so typical of human nature. Especially as we grow older, don't we love to say, but I don't want to change. I like it the old way. It's just so easy. I, I get it. I understand that. And we get stuck in the old way. Jesus knows us. He knows what we're thinking. And he's saying, I know some of you are already thinking, nope, don't want to change. So, not gonna. He's saying, you know what? You're going to miss the blessing. Because sometimes, no, I take that back all the time. New life in Christ is new and glorious and exciting more every day. Because as you open up the scriptures and under the power of God's spirit, you now can see and hear what you have never heard and seen. So that means now you can be what you never were before. Maybe it's like this. It's like a simple acorn. An acorn that so often we pass off is what those squirrels need to stuff into their cheeks for winter. Or we look at a bunch of acorns on grass and we think, oh, such a problem. Got to get those acorns up. And why? Because an acorn will turn into a big, strong, mighty oak tree. So even though we lose the acorn, we gain the glorious new tree. The tree that 
when it grows big and strong, will not falter, will not crumble when the storms come. So look, just look at this simple acorn and say, you know what? I'd lose an acorn any day to gain this. And that's the way we lose the old self and gain the new. And there's no comparison. Heavenly Father, thank you for this lesson. May we see the truth. May we see the application. May we desire to leave here with just not more facts, but that you are just hedging more and more at our heart and that you truly want to be more and more a doctor to our soul because that is what you care about most. Father, help us to see that the way you run our life, even though it might not be the way we did or the way we would want, Father, help us. And this is what Luke says. Just trust the one who formed you, who created you, who summoned you by name. He knows what's best so that we can have that kind of relationship with our Lord and Savior. We said we wanted to be like the shepherds. Now we say we want to be like the leper. Father, how you use people who probably in the world's eyes do not matter at all. And yet you can see a heart. May we have that kind of heart that you can use. In Jesus' name, amen.